Hey, everybody, it's Jake Keith here. Before we get started on today's episode with Greg Fitzsimmons and Sean Polofsky, I wanted to let you know that things are going to be a little bit different in March. That's because March is the month of the Max Fun Drive, our big pledge drive jamboree that we have here at Maximum Fun. So our usual schedule, of course, is releasing episodes on the first and third Friday of the month. Obviously, this first Friday has the show you're listening to now. Meantime, we really encourage you this year to become or renew as a MaxFun member by making a contribution at MaximumFun.org donate because we've got some very special bonus content for you. We recorded a special complete episode with Ross and Carrie from the MaxFun podcast, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, that will be available exclusively to Max. Fun members as bonus content that should be out around the second week of March. You will not want to miss it. It was pretty spectacular, very emotional, very funny and smart and great episode that we're really proud of and we really hope that you will hear. We'll see you with a little mini episode on the 15th and then on the 22nd, a big, wonderful crossover, great episode that we have not recorded yet. So I'm assuming it's going to be wonderful on March 22nd with Guy Branham and Emily Heller. annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> that, was, that was the first time where nobody applauded when you said the name of the show. They were like, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah no, we, we know what we're seeing. We're aware of the title of the show. Uh, <laughs> Helen, what is going on in your exciting world? I spent a, a week in bed sick eating Cheetos. Oh. And uh, did, did turns out turns out that's not a good idea. Okay. <laughs> I for some reason I said to my sister I was like they're so orange you'd think there'd be vitamins in them, and she <laughs> was like no logic. no yeah. you wouldn't that is not. What, what's your favorite kind of Cheeto? I like the uh, classic crunchy Cheeto. <laughs> Thank you one person who yeah. backs me up. No, we got a few. We got a few. I do not play with that flame and hot baloney. Yeah. Mm-mm. I don't I don't I do not subscribe to the flame and hot. I don't know when flame and hot became like such a big thing that now it's hard for me to find the classic mm. when I can always find the flame and hot and mm. I'm like, "No." It's a flame and hot take you got there, <laughs> it's Helen. Too hot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't remember the last time I had a Cheeto. Really? Yeah, I used to really like uh, I think planters made them. They were called cheese balls and uh, cheese was spelled with a z. And I think balls might have been also, <laughs> which is strange because I understand that you can't actually call it cheese. So, you know, with, with the S-E's, you have to put the Z. But who's suing them because these are not actual balls? You are, are, you are not making these sound appetizing at all. No. Cheese balls. Cheese, cheese balls. But, oh, they were so good. And I would usually have them at my grandmother's. And she had this device I've never seen before nor since. It was called a brisker. Does anyone know what this is? Okay. It looks like sort of a giant microwave, but it's got a, a, a metallic silver door. Okay. And it would keep things things sort of warmish and apparently that that helped to uh, extend the life of, uh, of your bugles and your cheese balls and your and your matzas. This kind of sounds like an easy bake oven, but this was not for children. This, this was, was not like for children. No, thing. no, it was hot to the touch. <gasps> yeah, it was it was it was scary. So she had like a, a, a thing, a device that would keep her cheese balls warm. <laughs> when you say it, it does not sound as wholesome as I remember it. But yes. Yes, my grandmother liked to keep her cheese balls warm. Why is that so hard for everyone to understand? Balls with a Z. Helen, today on Go Fact Yourself, two contestants will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who was up first? He is a comedian, writer, and host of the podcasts Fitzdog Radio and Childish. It's Greg Fitzsimmons. Greg Fitzsimmons. Greg bounding up the Hi, stage. Greg. Hi, Greg. Nice to Hi, see you. Welcome. Greg shaking hands with both the host and co-host. You'd be surprised <laughs> so, how rare that is. So profesh. I was raised by uh, show business people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you're you're actually serious though. Your your father was in broadcasting. Robert Goulet. What? No. <laughs> That's, you know, no. when you say it, I can see the resemblance. <laughs> no, Bob Fitzsimmons. He was a radio guy, and he used to, um, even though he did radio. 
uh, he used to MC like charity benefits mm -hmm. and stuff, and he would always wear a tuxedo. Wow! And he would get up and he would tell funny stories, and he would make fun of people, and it was essentially stand-up comedy, and that's what mm. he really always wanted to do. Oh! So when I started doing it, he was very supportive. Yeah. yeah Except that I didn't wear a tuxedo, which he came down hard on. <laughs> <laughs> like you'd be at an open mic at a laundromat or something, and he'd expect you to be wearing a tux. Yeah, I could have kept it clean while yeah. I was there. Oh, clean! Yeah. <laughs> Hey. Yeah. It was right. three It was, a, it was a more genteel time yeah. back then when, when people wore tuxedos to tell jokes. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, and I could have done warm up for Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that show really needed it. It was kind of a bummer. Really could have used some punch up. Bummer. Yeah. That whole World War I thing. Yeah. It was a lot of down stories. Yeah. Wait, so being on a, be, holding a mic is like in your DNA? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was, people say, when did you start? When I was um, maybe nine, I was a terrible athlete, but they made me go on the swim team, my parents, and uh, I sank. I don't know why, but I don't float. <laughs> okay. And so I came in third place in breaststroke because it was only two other kids, and it was the only way I could. It was, it was doggy paddle, and it resembled breaststroke. Yeah. So that's the race they put me in. I came in third, and they gave me a plaque, and I went up, and the, uh, Mr. D, who was the swim coach, would announce your name, you come up and shake his hand, you take the plaque. <laughs> I didn't take the plaque, I took the microphone. No! Oh, did you really? And I did like three minutes of jokes <laughs> at nine. A tight three? Yeah, I did at a tight the swim three. Meet. They lit me at two, yeah. <laughs> did your dad give you any advice as you were going into to broadcasting? Or into he's, entertainment? You know, he said write a lot. Mm. He said, uh, you know, stand-up is great, I hope it works out for you, but if you always write... Your stand-up will be fresh, and also you can do that as well. You can also write, which is, you know... Uh, a good advice. Good advocate, and I ended up being uh, what I do with half my career, which is yeah. I, half of it's writing and for TV, and half of it is uh, writing for Helen Hong stand-up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> now you we didn't all tell know. me that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, great. that was supposed to be a secret, but thank you, Greg. Yeah. Right. Well, you are, you are writing and appearing on Crashing, uh, the Pete Holmes show on HBO. Right. It's a great show. Right. Oh, thank you. We shoot in New York, unfortunately, because I live here in L.A. Right. But we go, I go for three months every summer to New York City. And that's really when you want to be there. Yeah. yeah. And we mostly shoot outside. So we, like, schlep around the village. And, you know, we're all, we're in the dirtiest parts of the city. All hours of the night. We shoot in the, the for some reason, Judd Apatow loves shooting in Greenwich Village. He produces the at show. At one in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And so it's always like, we're, one night we were on, um, on McDougal Street. And you got to understand, there's 50 people on the crew. They're all union people. They're all making a lot of money when we go long. And we're going long. Oh. And then we're shooting us something on the street. And there's a homeless guy who keeps walking right up to the set and going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> ah! And so we can't shoot. Every time we start, it's ah! And so I go, what are we doing here? I go, how do we get rid of this guy? You can't, and they're like, you can't get rid of him. Yeah. You can't physically move somebody in a public space. Well, what about the cops? Cops can't move him either. You can't arrest him for so ah? I, so I go, what, what should you give him some money? And so the line producer goes, well, that's not our policy. You don't, <laughs> we don't want to set a precedent. Mm. I go, set a precedent. It's 2 a.m. <laughs> We're flushing money down the toilet. Give the guy some money. So he goes over and he hands him something. And the guy walks away and I go, how much did you have to give him? And he goes, five bucks. What? <laughs> I go, I think we can live with that policy. <laughs> wow. Was he a union homeless person? He was a union homeless person. Yeah, okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, you've done, uh, you've done your own podcast. And how would he go on strike? Yeah. He sit, <laughs> just sit down? I'm going inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've done your podcast, uh, Fitz Dog Radio, over 700 episodes of that. Wow, is it that Congratulations. Yeah, you're, like, oh, you're like one of the OG podcasters. Yeah, well, you know, I had a show on Howard Stern's channel for years, and so I was already doing an hour. Thank you. I would, I would already do an hour of that, and then I would just, uh, I started going, this is a waste to get, like, I'd get Ray Romano in or Jimmy Kimmel, and it would be an hour, and I always felt like we wanted to go more. Right. So I just started keeping them, and I did a second hour, which was turned into the podcast. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Great. And you have a new podcast that you're just starting out with uh, Allison Rosen, a former guest on, on our show uh, here as oh, well. Oh, has she been on? Yes, How'd she's she been do? on. She, she did, did well. very well. She did very well. Yeah. 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 She's pretty sharp. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, I have two teenagers... And she has a two-year-old and one in her belly. And so the premise of the show is I'm teaching her how to parent. Mm. 
and she's not buying it. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a lot of uh, you, we've been doing. I think we've done like seven or eight episodes. And this is the dirty, twisted side of parenting. This is definitely not with the kids in the car. This is after you drop them off. Like, give us an example. What's some advice that you would give to a a new parent? Uh, I always say whatever you have in your savings, hire help. Because keeping your sanity in the first couple years will keep your marriage together. I think kids absorb a lot of your energy early on. If it's negative or scared, they get it. So um, don't be afraid to step away. And if it's your parents, here's the other great thing, is we all talk about how much our parents have destroyed our lives as you get older. No matter how old you are, you still blame your parents' bad parenting Mm -hmm. on your sense of well-being. For sure. Until you have a child. And then after six months, you call them up and you're like, will you please watch these kids? (laughs) I don't care what you do, what you did to me, I got to go get a drink. (laughs) Get over here. And uh, if that doesn't work, just pay them $5 and maybe they'll go away. (laughs) Five goes a long way these days. It sure does. We're certainly happy to have you, Mr. Greg Fitzsimmons, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Helen, against whom will Greg be competing tonight? She is a comedian and writer whose special Stretch It Out is available on streaming platforms now. It's Sean Polofsky. Sean Polofsky. Sean. bounding up the stage, waving. Welcome, Sean. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Wonderful Helen. to Hi, see you. Hi, Jay Keith. Hi, Sean. Now, Sean, you and I work together. We do. We work on a show together called Funny You Should Ask. Thank and, you. Yeah. And I'm one of the producers, and, and Jay Keith is one of the writers. A brilliant you, writer, may I Thank add. you very much. You actually helped me get the job, which yeah, I appreciate. That's me kissing up right now. Yes. <laughs> Helen, are there extra points for helping me uh, get jobs? Nah. No, all right. Is there no. extra points for helping you get jobs? Yes. Yeah, okay, now we see how that works. Both show. Uh, but we actually have known each other for a long time. I believe we first worked together at the Acme Theater doing sketch comedy. Is that right? Yes, when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. <laughs> that's so, right. Yes. Uh, you were always such a wonderful performer. Uh, I remember especially that you would do a, a Bette Midler sketch, and yeah. I know that in, in real life you're actually a, a big fan of her work as well. Huge fan of Bette Midler. I'm surprised that that isn't one of my topics, but yeah. I was a little surprised as well. Yeah, yeah. It's too bad, because I had her on the phone ready to go. And yeah. Then, uh, yeah. Have you ever worked with Bette Midler? Uh, that what? Have you ever worked with her? Um, no, I met her once, and um, I was invited to the premiere of Gypsy, <gasps> and it was a TV version of Gypsy where Bette Midler played Mama Rose and uh, my friend was the assistant to John Goodman and John couldn't go so she invited me so and at the time I was just out of college was just like a couple of years ago and um, so I was uh, actually cast in this kind of off-Broadway show from New York that came to Los Angeles called Dressing Room Divas and I was, and it's about like five divas locked in a dressing room. And I was playing the role of like a young Bette Midler, mm. emphasis on young. And <laughs> I, here I was, I got invited to this, you know, big premiere. And this was my moment to meet the divine Miss M and tell her, you know, what I was doing. Cause I'm sure sh- she was so interested. Yeah. <laughs> and we see the screening of the uh, show. And then afterwards there was this little party and I see her and she's very tiny in person. And I'm not a very tall person, but she is like really little. Really. And she was holding court with like three people and she was talking to them. And I was kind of, you know, in the background rehearsing what I was going to say to her. And this was going to be my moment. And then at some moment, I just realized she was talking to people she knew. And if I didn't talk to her at that moment, mm. she was never going to meet me. Mm. So, and what uh, a loss that yeah, would be for exactly. her. <laughs> and so at that moment in my head, as she was talking to three people, I, and I can remember this like in slow motion. I tapped her on the shoulder. No! And I said, Miss Midler, my name is Sean Polofsky. And I, like, like, she, like she cared. And I said, and I'd like to tell you, your performance tonight was absolutely breathtaking. And, and then at some moment, something went through my head, like, you're talking to Bette Midler, you're talking to Bette Midler, you're talking to Bette Midler. <laughs> yeah. And then my decibel of my voice started to raise. <laughs> and, and I was like, and in my eyes, you're a god. And um, physically, I ate Bette Midler. Uh, she shrunk like in The Little Mermaid when the people shrink. She started to get smaller, and you could hear collective gay gasps all around me. I, I saw the security like, short Jewish girl stalking Bette Midler, and, and it got really quiet, and then she just, with grace, 
she turned to me and she said, goddess, honey, goddess. And then she turned back around and carried her conversation. Wow. Like a professional. Nice. So. Nailed it. First well of all, I want Collective Gay Gasps to be the name, <laughs> the name of my first album, yeah, or, my first, or my first child, or yeah. my first it. Collective Gay Gasps. Well, Trace. wear the wrong thing, and they, you will hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, in the introduction, mentioned your special Stretch It Out. Yes. <laughs> stretch It Out is so great, and, it, and it, you, you literally, you're such a physical comedian, and you literally do like yoga moves on stage. And you know what's crazy, Helen, is I have never done yoga. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, what? I have never. I, I don't know where I got like weirdly limber in my 30s. No comment, Greg. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know what happened. And I just started like lunging. You know, it's kind of just this... Um, it's, I'll have gay men that come up to me and they're like, we were at dinner last night <laughs> and we were discussing what stretch it out means. <laughs> It's just kind of like the pa dum and I'll just tag it with, if I think I said something funny, I'll go stretch it out, and then I'll yeah. But you do this lunge that yeah. is such a, a deep lunge, and I've seen you do this a yeah. million times, and I'm like, I don't think I could do that with my body. Like, you that could. is crazy. You could, and I only do it on one side. My brother's a chiropractor, and he's always like, and I get, like, comedy injuries <laughs> on my head, and he'll be like, you got to stretch it out on the other side. It's just, it's killing you. Life advice from Sean Pulaski. Yeah. So great to have you. Sean Pulaski, ladies and gentlemen. All right, well, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have expertise. Greg, you selected classic Mustangs, JFK, and antidepressants. <laughs> well, the JFK thing was very sad. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> Whereas Sean selected... Oh, shallow. Go ahead, say uh, no, it. No, it's a study in contrast, let us say. <laughs> Sean selected Howard Stern. <laughs> so you think you can dance. <laughs> and this will surprise no one, gay culture. It gets gayer. Yeah, yes. I think gay culture, we already know. She knows about the gasps. Uh, that might be one of your questions. All right, later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. You'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person does have a chance to steal. Your topic today, Silent E. First up in Silent E, Greg. Greg, your question comes from a listener, Alan Risto from Paris, France. What? Whoa. We have fans we have a in Paris? In Paris, France. Amazing. Among my top three favorite Parises. Bonjour. Yeah. Well, then if it ends with an E, it's silent? No, no, that's not the question part. Oh. First, we're just being impressed with ourselves that <laughs> There's podcasts no e in exist Paris. outside of here. Yeah, there isn't. Greg, here's your question. Greg, they both offer better living through chemistry, but what is the difference between silicon and silicone? Silicon and silicone. Silicon mm -hmm. is the substance. Silicone is once it's implanted inside of you. Okay. So, <laughs> much like a, like a meteor or a meteoroid, for instance, goes once through it, the atmosphere. It becomes a meteorite once it comes right. through the atmosphere. Right. Yeah, everybody so, knows that. So, like that. Silicon, once it enters the atmosphere, once it enters the skin, the skin of a breast silicone. specifically, it becomes a silicone. That is correct, Keith. And please don't make it sound stupid when it's the right answer. <laughs> we don't know yet. We don't know. We do have Greg's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Sean, if you don't think you got it exactly right, you can steal. What do you think? Uh, well, I'm going to say silicon, we'd all like to believe, is a place in Los Angeles where people make more money than we do here in Los Angeles. So you're thinking of like a silicon uh, yes. alley or we, valley yeah, kind of I a thing? Yeah, but I think silicon uh, is not combustible and silicone is what every other woman in this room may have in their body. I don't... Uh, so one of them's combustible <laughs> yes. and one of them and one people of them in not. this room have. Yes. And one of them is not. Yes. That is the difference. Yes. All right. Well, this segment needs some augmentation, so let's go to <laughs> Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Silicon is an element on the periodic table, number 14 to be exact, and is found in sand and used in computer chips. Old number 14. <laughs> yeah, good old 14. One four. Silicone is a synthetic material that usually contains silicon and is used in modern spatulas, modern grouts, and modern breasts. Yes, and 
Modern Spatula is, by the way, my favorite magazine. I've been subscribing for years. Uh, what does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? I'm going to say no points no, I for I think no one. points as well. You're welcome, Sorry. everybody. Yes. But very entertaining. Very yes. entertaining. And uh, a window into what's to come. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would like to say we have never had guest score zero points in a game. There's a first time for everything Thank tonight. You. We might see, we might yeah. see that. Uh, all right, up next in Silent E is Sean. Sean, your question in Silent mm -hmm. E involves an E that dropped itself into the middle of a word. They both are my favorite things to drink, but what is the difference between whiskey, W-H-I-S-K-Y, uh -huh. and whiskey, W-H-I-S-K-E-Y? Whiskey and whiskey. I, well, I know I, I drink one. I drink a lot of it. Okay. Um, Which one do you, do you drink? The W H I S K E Y. The E Y one you is uh, okay. yes, uh, Rock on Jack Daniels. Okay. That's my friend. And the W H I S or is W H I S K Y? Right, with no E. Um, whiskey uh, m means it's a skittish. Somebody who's skittish. Somebody who's skittish. Yes. Is, is a whiskey. Yes. Or is whiskey is it an adjective then? Yes. All right, we have Sean's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Uh, what do you think, Greg? She's not correct because, in fact, uh, whiskey is indeed something that you drink a lot of. Mm -hmm. Yes. With an E. Mm -hmm. Whiskey is um, like, a, like a valet in, um, in uh, Downton Abbey who, who takes the brush <laughs> yes. and he will whisk oh, the jacket. And yes. hence he is a whiskey <laughs> type of a person. So wait, now, so Say is the person being whisked the whiskey? No, it's the, whis the, the person who whisks is the whiskey. No, the person who does the whisking <laughs> yeah. would be considered a whiskey person. Oh, he's a whiskey person. He's a whiskey person. Yeah, and again, as an adjective. It, it is, of course, an adjective. <laughs> Naturally, Jakey. Well, it's time to whisk away this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. <laughs> Here are the facts. While there are a few exceptions, the main difference doesn't have to do with ingredients or methods, but rather with geography. Whiskey with an E is usually made in the United States and Ireland, so Jack Daniels or Jameson are whiskey with an E. Whiskey without an E is usually made everywhere else, but especially in Scotland and Canada. So a Lagavulin or Crown Royal are whiskey with no E. That's right. And that was a Canadian trick question. <laughs> Those is that going to be your excuse for every wrong answer tonight? It is. It yeah. is. Blame Canada. Canadian. Yeah, all right. Well, the different spellings also change how the words are pluralized. With whiskey with an E, you just add S to make a plural whiskeys. Without the E, you drop the Y and add I-E-S, W-H-I-S-K-I-E-S. Either way, it's always better to have more than one whiskey or whiskey. Uh, what does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? And please take your time tabulating. Wow. <laughs> Give it all due consideration yes, as you award the points for the What's the Difference round. After some careful counting, yes. Greg Fitzsimmons has zero points and Sean Polofsky has zero points. That's right. We hope these scores will change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. And now a word from our sponsor. Helen, we're all going to die! Why? What happened? Oh, nothing. It's just that we're all going to die eventually. Ugh, Jakey. Look, nobody likes to think about it, but none of us is going to be around forever. And you got to plan for the inevitable. Mm, that does make sense. And did you know that in California, if you don't plan your estate by setting up a trust during your lifetime, then your heirs will likely have to go through probate proceedings? Probate proceedings? What's that? Well, it's a whole convoluted legal process for distributing your assets after you die, and it is expensive. In California, probate includes attorney fees and personal representative fees, and filing fees, appraisal fees, publication fees. So many fees. Is there any way to avoid it? I'm so glad you asked, because setting up a trust is intended to help you avoid probate and gives more of what you've earned to the people you want to have it. But who should set up my trust? Again, I'm so glad you asked. I recommend Andrew Wolfberg of CA Trusts. Not only has he been a lawyer since 1995, but his focus is exclusively estate planning and trusts. Plus, he's sponsoring this show, so he's got to be a good guy. Good point, Helen. For more information, including a free consultation, visit catrust.com. That's C-A, as in California, trusts.com. Oh, should we be very clear that he is admitted to practice in California only, and that this advertisement is intended for California residents only, and that this advertisement should not be considered legal advice? I'm very glad you asked that, Helen. Yes. <laughs> C-A Trusts, it's time to take care of your family's future. Thank, Thank you, C-A Trusts. Trust. 
Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners, regardless of quality or content, with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice welcome back to go fact yourself where our score is greg fitzsimmons with zero points and sean polofsky with zero points once again here's jay keith van stratton thank you helen thanks everybody Greg Fitzsimmons, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about classic Mustangs, JFK, and antidepressants. Let's talk about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about classic Mustangs. When you say a lot, (laughs) um, your email came in and you asked me for the topics. Right. And at that time, Mm -hmm. I had just driven in my friend's classic Mustang, and I was Mm. very excited, and I I said to him, I'm going to get a book about these because I'm so fascinated by classic Mustangs. Now, did I, in fact, get that book? Oh, no. Yikes. On my Amazon wish list right now. Oh. But, but I know about his particular one. Okay. Um, so, and then, of course, there's... Um, JFK. JFK, which, uh, being 100% Irish Catholic, mm-hmm. I was immersed in it growing up. We had, not making this up, on the wall, like every other Irish yeah. Catholic family, we had JFK next to... Jesus Christ. The Pope. Christ. That's the Pope, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> the Pope and JFK. So I, you know, I've always read a lot of books about him. Yeah. I have a bad memory, so I don't know what my recall will be on those books. All right. Well, this also is a little awkward because I thought you were talking about the airport. <laughs> oh, I know the airport. Okay, Wait, great. Well, that might be yeah. the topic. Yeah. Uh, and finally, you said you know a lot about antidepressants. More than I would like to. Okay. <laughs> and I may need some after this game. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us a little bit more. Is it from your experience or you've studied up on it? I have uh, depression. Oh, okay. Treatment-resistant depression. Mm. Oh. And I have tried many types of antidepressants. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, my wife today uh, had me clean out my nightstand because it has so many failed attempts to cure my depression. <laughs> oh. And we dumped them all into a bowl. And can you give me the bowl? <laughs> <laughs> can I have the bowl? It's the happiest yeah. bowl in the kitchen. You just pour whiskey in it and eat it like cereal. <laughs> yeah. I'm down. But whiskey with an E. That's right. Yeah. Well, the Irish way. In all seriousness, I, th- I do think it's very helpful to people to hear people, especially in entertainment, talk about depression because it's a real thing. It's something that I deal with as well. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I admire you for bringing it up. Well, thank you. Yes. All right. So to summarize, you told us you know a lot about classic Mustangs, JFK, and antidepressants. Today we want to quiz you about, I'm terribly sorry, Greg, classic Mustangs. <laughs> <laughs> Sean wow. just got a lot more confident. <laughs> uh, I think Kennedy was assassinated while driving in the back of one. I don't think it was a Mustang. No? Not a Mustang. No, yeah. not that. Uh, well, what do you define as a classic for a classic Mustang? Well, I think in the first uh, six years. Okay. Yeah. And you've not owned one yourself, though? No, I once uh, took one. There was a janitor at my high school that was selling a 71 Mustang. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, so I said I wanted to take it for a test ride. So he... Got, he, I said, where's the keys? And he goes, there's no keys. They just cranked the, uh, the key. Yeah, the ignition there? The ignition or? there. Yeah. And so uh, he drove with me. And then the next day, I went on my own and took it for another test drive <gasps> with two of my friends. And we bought an eight-pack and, uh, and we enjoyed Because how do you really know if you love a car? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, this, this janitor let a high school kid just drive his yeah. Mustang on? Yeah. yeah. You had a cool janitor. We didn't yeah, have no, cool I, janitors. Yeah, no, I stole the car. I stole okay. the car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but really, where's the line between a test drive and a joyride and Grand Theft Auto? Right. I mean, who's to say? It's a fine line. And uh, so he wouldn't let me buy the car because he was so angry at me. Yeah. And then I, and I always wanted to. And to this day, I... I still maybe we'll get one. We'll All right. See. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in classic Mustangs to test your mastery in the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. You look very surprised. I, I did explain that's what the show is, though, right? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, before that, though, to uh, let you show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of the five questions. Sean, do listen closely, because if Greg answers incorrectly, and he might, you have a chance to steal. Oh, goody, because... Uh... 
Old Mustang, classic Mustangs is really my forte. All right, I, well, uh, let's see if you get the opportunity. Here we go, question number one. Greg, these days many cars make their debut at auto shows, but the Mustang was unveiled at an even bigger affair, an international expo that in 1964 was held in Flushing Meadows, New York. What was the event? It was the World's Fair. Helen? That is correct. Greg is on the board with one point. Uh, fun fact, also debuting at that expo were Disney's It's a Small World and a giant steel sphere that stands to this day. Question number two. Despite having a horse logo, the Mustang was not named after a horse. After what other mode of transport was it named? Uh, it was a rocket. A rocket, Helen? Or a spaceship, should I say. That is not correct. Not correct. Sean with a chance to steal. A train. Was it a train? It was not a train. No, not a train. Uh, you did not ask for the hint, but Helen, just for the heck of it, give them the hint, see if this would have helped. It was a fighter plane. Fighter plane. It was a plane, yes. Yeah. It was a fighter plane. In fact, it was the P-51 Mustang fighter bomber from World War II. Uh, all right, no point there. Let's see if you can bounce back on question number three. The Mustang has appeared in many famous movies, including in one of the greatest car chases ever, the 1968 movie Bullet. What body style was the Mustang driven by Steve McQueen in that movie? It was a fastback. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Who needs books? <laughs> Just saw that movie for the first time about a year ago. It's, so, it really holds uh, up. Thank it's pretty you, great. Netflix. That's right. <laughs> uh, fun fact: the other body styles of that first-generation Mustang were the hardtop and convertible. I didn't. I don't think I know what a fastback is. It's just instead of the back window coming straight down, uh -huh. it extends all the way back at an angle. Oh. It was later called the sports roof. That's uh, later what they named it. Well, give yourself a point, Jake. Oh, Keith. thank you! Yay! <laughs> Who's playing? This Who's is our thirty-first episode, and I have never gotten a point. <laughs> Question number four, Greg. The second-generation Mustang introduced in the 1974 model year was built on the same platform as what other model of Ford? I would say you have the... a hint available, by the way, if you'd like to use the hint. <laughs> All right, give me a hint. Helen, how about that first hint? This car also shares a name with a horse or beans. Pinto. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Excellent use of the hint. Uh, that was was the it second... the was it the beans? It was the beans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lima green. I was trying to imagine you're going through that. Uh, I love the Ford Lima. That was a great. That was a great car. Uh, fun fact: there have been six generations of the Mustang as we record this tonight. Uh, all right, Greg, you're doing quite well. Here's question number five: The Mustang was sold all over the world as the Mustang, but in one country, the name Mustang was owned by another company. So until 1973, where was the Mustang known as the T5? You do have a second hint available if you'd like to use it. I'm going to take the second hint. Helen, how about that second hint? And can you do it in the language of the company? <laughs> <laughs> the company who had the name Mustang in this country was Krupps. Germany! Yes, yes, that, that is, is correct. correct! Hey, can we not scream Germany yeah, I was so say loud in here? <laughs> I was starting to feel a little unsafe yeah. as well, John. Uh, you did quite well in that round for especially yeah. for thinking that you didn't know. Very good job, Greg. Yeah. Let's, let's walk away right now. Well, not exactly. Because now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Nice. <laughs> this question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Everyone seems to love a classic Mustang, but not everyone can agree on what the best color is, especially for the first generation of the car. For up to three points, answer these questions about colors of classic Mustangs. First, what shade of white was offered on the 1964 Mustang, as seen on the pace car of that year's Indianapolis 500, but named after another famous sporting event? Second, what color did Ford offer in 19 different shades from 1967 and 1973? And what standard color was by far the least popular one for the first generations of Mustang? Color, and it was also the name of another, of a race? Uh, the name of another famous sporting event. And it was, a, it was a shade of white that we're looking for. A shade of white, which could also be the name of a sporting event. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to be clear, it was, it was specifically named after another sporting event. Uh, I'm going to say uh, it was a Tour de France white. Tour de France white, all right. And then uh, we want to know what color did Ford offer in 19 different shades between 1967 and 1973? Green. Green. And finally, what standard color was by far the least popular for the first generation of Mustangs? 
Black. Black. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have with us tonight? Here with us tonight is the chief historian of the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles. Wow. It's Leslie Kendall. Leslie oh Kendall, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Welcome, Leslie. Please have a seat there in the end and pull that microphone right up close to you. Hello. Excellent. What a thrill to be here. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's a thrill for us to have you. Uh, I live near the Peterson Automotive Museum. I, I drive by it every day uh, on my way to and from work. Uh, you've been there from the beginning of it. I've been there from before the beginning. I started about a year and a half uh, before we opened in June of 94. It helped set it up and find some of the cars. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And for those who don't know, can you just describe a little bit about what the Peterson Automotive Museum is and does? Well, the mission is pretty explicit. It's to, uh, we exist to explore and present the history of the automobile and its impact on global life and culture, but use Los Angeles as our prime example. LA is the most car-centric city the world has ever known. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, how has the museum changed over the years? Obviously, the exterior has. For those who don't know, it's become one of the architectural icons of Los Angeles, the, the, this big, sweeping, uh, metallic, uh, silver and red. But uh, inside, how has it changed over the years? Well, it's changed. We used to have... Um, a, the museum was characterized by very large dioramas on the first floor. So mm -hmm. we kind of a walking... Um, through old Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, different, dif different phases of time. And then we said, you know what, that's a little, um, after 20 years, that was getting a little bit long in tooth. And, and we said, let's, you know, we really have to turn this literally upside down. So we decided to give it an entirely new tack. And instead of putting cars with, with give them a, a context that might confuse people mm -hmm. and it might be distracting, we, we present them as in, intrinsically, individually interesting objects, a lot of them on platforms to mm -hmm. show them off as the art pieces they are. That's great. And, and about how many cars you have on display at any given time? Uh, on display, about 120, 130, and the collection, over 300. Wow. wow. And how many of those are Jay Leno's? <laughs> <laughs> We have one that Jay loaned us. Jay, Jay yeah. likes to drive his cars. He likes access to his yeah. cars, and we don't blame him. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Now, you had an entirely different career before you got into the uh, museum curation game. Yeah, it's really related. It's, um, I was a mortgage loan officer. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The housing crisis was 2008, and you started the museum in 2009? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I didn't hear your question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so this must be a dream job for you to, to be able to go. Oh, I love this job. I was, I was saying earlier I was the only student in kindergarten who knew what a Bugatti was. <laughs> wow. People think I'm kidding when I say that, but it's yeah. abs the absolute truth. That's great. And uh, what are some of the highlights of the collection? Um, we've got the, talking about Bugattis, we've got the Bugatti that was given as a gift from the French government to the Shah of Iran, the Whoa. Prince of Persia at the time, on the occasion of his wedding in 1939. It's one of the most splendid and possibly Art Deco sexy cars you could, you could imagine. Wow. We also have Steve McQueen's um, Jaguar XKSS that he used to terrorize a neighborhood with. And, and, you know, is a few it other. Jaguar or is it Jaguar? Thank you, Helen. Jaguar. Oh, okay. Oh. That could be, like, what's the difference round? Yeah. It's if you make over $150,000 yeah, a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys also have the Batmobile, too? We've got a Batmobile, and we have a Bat Cycle for those smaller crime-fighting jobs. What? Very nice. So, Sean, you are familiar with I the I was Peterson. just there last month. That's wonderful. Oh. And uh, I know nothing about Mustangs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's talk about Mustangs. Uh, we mentioned early on... Can I change the answer to the first one? You, go, you can. Go ahead. I think it's Grand Torino White. All right, we'll see if that's correct or not. We mentioned earlier that the Mustang made its debut at the 1964 World's Fair, and I understand you were at that World's Fair. I was actually at the World's Fair. I was... Um, not very old at the time, but I certainly remember Ford's Magic Skyway and what an impact it, it had on me and driving around and driving around, uh, sitting in a convertible going, going uh, through the dinosaur country. That was uh, pretty interesting to me. That's great. And uh, tell us about the Mustangs that are at the Peterson, both temporarily and, and an exhibit that you have. Uh, we've, we've got a few. We've got um, an early one, we, what people consider, um, well, some people consider the world's first funny car, the Malco Gasser, which is in the form of a Mustang. Uh, it's got a 427 single overhead cam engine, and it really blew everybody away in its day. Uh, more recently, we have an experimental Mustang that was built by Galpin Ford. Uh, it's a retractable hardtop. Oh, wow. So instead of a convertible oh. fabric folding top, yeah. the, the trunk goes up and the, the, the rigid top goes into it, and then the uh, lid Ooh. comes back down. Can I, I borrow mean, that? It was, it was <laughs> one of a kind experimental. You actually had an exhibit to honor the anniversary of the Mustang. Yeah, we did the 50th anniversary of the uh, Mustang. Uh, exhibition that uh, on its 50th anniversary year, and and uh, it, it it really resonated with people because I think a lot of people had no idea that Mustang came in so many varieties. Mm -hmm. When it was first introduced, you could dress it up or dress it down. 
luxury car, sports car, economy car. It was that kind of car, and it still is. Do most of the examples of the Mustangs exist or easy to find? Uh, you know, what's funny is the one that was the most difficult to find was the Mustang II, because most people don't remember those. When the ashtrays got full, you just traded it in. You got another one. Um, what we ended up having to buy one from a woman in Palm Springs, and I drove it back on on the freeway. And with your um, heart racing the entire time, like please don't crash into me, anybody. Yeah. Well, was like, I wasn't. I'm a janitor. I'm I, a janitor. I, I, I wasn't getting the the attention that you're thinking I was probably getting. Um, yeah. it, driving that car exemplifies the difference between being noticed and being looked at. Mm. I was looked at. Mm. in that car and I, I could barely keep up with traffic I was um, it was it was every bit a 1974 uh, Mustang too it's a very very it was true to its uh, species that's great all right well let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game goes you heard the questions that we asked Greg Helen let's remind everyone of the answers first we wanted to know what was the shade of white offered on a 1964 Mustang that was named after a famous sporting event Helen what were the two answers that Greg gave <laughs> Greg started with Tour de France white and ended up with Grand Torino white. And how did he do, Mr. Kendall? Um, If he would have kept going, he probably would have gotten it. It's... it's, (laughs) What is the correct answer? It's Wimbledon white. Wimbledon white. Yeah, no point there. Uh, Next, we wanted to know what color... Which is redundant, by the way. A little bit, yeah. 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 That's probably why they don't offer anyone. (laughs) I should have, in the question, said... Please consider the redundancy, yes. Uh, next, we wanted to know from Greg, what color did Ford offer in 19 different shades between 1967 and 1973? Helen, what did Greg say? Greg said green. And Mr. Kendall? Uh, I believe it was blue. It was blue, yeah. Why, why would they offer so many different shades? Because um, different eras kind of lend themselves to different colors and different shapes of cars. Uh, for example, in the 19... You know, I'd use an extreme example going back to the 50s. Mustang didn't exist back then. Um, but a lot of the cars were pastels. Mm. And a lot of cars were, uh, it were um, anything, anything but metallics, so like they were in the 70s and 80s. And yeah. it's just what, what was available and what looked good on the particular car. All right, so no point there for Greg. And then finally we asked him, what standard color was by far the least popular for the first generation of Mustangs? Helen, what did Greg say? Greg said black. And Leslie Kendall? He's absolutely right. A yeah. point for Greg! Yeah. Yes, I didn't get skunked. Good job. Well, Greg, what was your thinking? And I want to hear what the actual reason was. Why did you think so few people would have had a black car back then? You know, they were sick of it. Every car was black, mm. you know, up, up through the 30s and the 40s. And, you know, I think they wanted to experiment and have colors. And I do remember there being a lot of pastels that were around. And then, of course, with the Mustangs, you had the metallic. And I just figured black was... Uh, that was a long-winded answer. No, no, it's good. It's yeah, good. Always... That, that we want to know what your thinking yeah. was. And, and what do you think the reason was that it actually was so unpopular? I think black, uh, pardon me, a Mustang was a sporting car. Black was a very formal color, although Mustang oh. did advertise it at, at times uh, as a formal car. Mm-hmm. Um, but black one with a white vinyl top, maybe, mm-hmm. and a black interior and air conditioning and foofy white walls and that sort yeah. of thing. That would, uh, that, you know, dress it up and you have a formal car. But I don't think most people saw Mustang that way. They didn't, they didn't see it as something to take to the opera. <laughs> Interesting. And if people want to find you or the museum, where can they go? Uh, petersen.org. Uh, my email is lkendall at petersen.org. And cool. S-E-N. Excellent. Well, we're so happy that you joined us, L. Kendall. <laughs> so, Leslie Kendall, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much. Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that round. At the end of that round, Greg Fitzsimmons has five points and Sean Pulaski has zero points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk to Sean about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Sean and Greg will go head-to-head in our Fast Fact round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Going into a Bullseye interview, I know that it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's, it's an actual conversation, and you know, sometimes it gets real. No, but my mother, I remember my. I remember when I got, <laughs> this is going to become a therapy session very quickly. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm in therapy. That was a great interview. Bullseye. Creators you know, creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Greg Fitzsimmons with five points and Sean Polofsky with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Strat. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. 
my friend Sean Pulaski, my friend and boss, Sean Pulaski, <laughs> of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Howard Stern, so you think you can dance, and gay culture. Tell us a little bit about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about Howard Stern. I do. I have been a super fan since 1993, so um, I've listened to the show for a very long time. I'm very involved with it every day. I invest like three three hours listening to the show, and uh, and I've also been on the Howard Stern wrap up show. So, oh wow, I would like to say that I'm knowledgeable about that show. <laughs> yeah, you can answer <laughs> trivia questions about yourself. Yeah, on that yeah, show. yeah. Uh, you also said you know a lot about the TV show, so you think you can dance. I do. I weirdly weirdly am obsessed with the show, so you think you can dance. Um, I don't dance, but I wish I could. And I love the show. I love everything it has to offer, except when the tapper comes on stage. <laughs> then it's like the show, it's an ender. But uh, I, I, I love it. I'm a, I just, I think in my next life, I'd like to be a dancer. Now, what do you have against tappers? A tapper, I don't you know. Mean, I you think, mean tap dancing? I think there's something very exciting when you see a lyrical contemporary number, you see a ballroom dance, or you see a hip hop uh, routine, and then suddenly, you know, the, the tap dancer comes up there and they're like, <laughs> and it's yeah. just, I think uh, it's just, I don't know, it's like, mur, mur. okay, <laughs> well, well said. And finally, you said you know a lot about gay culture. Yes, well, uh, I, I broke my nose three times, therefore, I started looking like Barbara Streisand, so I had no choice. <laughs> But to know about gay culture, uh, I, I started, you know, collecting gay male friends in sixth grade, and uh, the fun just never ends. <laughs> what, what, what are there some they are now. There what? they are now. What, what are some of your favorite things about uh, gay culture? I work a lot on uh, gay male cruises, so it's like 6,000 gay men on a boat, and I could find a, a Jew in NASCAR faster than I could get laid on that ship. But <laughs> they... They teach me everything I know. And I, what I love, especially about uh, the gay male community, is that uh, they're not offended easily. Mm -hmm. And they just, they, they're loyal. And they accept you for who you are. Uh, all right, so to summarize, you said you know a lot about Howard Stern, so you think you can dance in gay culture. Today, we're going to quiz you about Howard Stern. Oh, my God! Baba Booey! Oh Indeed, God. it had to be said. Yes, and by the way, I should point out that, uh, Greg, you mentioned earlier that you've been a guest many times on Howard Stern Show. You had your own uh, show on the Howard Stern Channel. It's a total coincidence that you were here as a, as a guest and that she told this as her topic. I've been on the show over 50 times. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah, so, uh, so, so Greg, great. you might do well in this if, uh, if Sean misses any. Oh, yeah, he's going to. I want to thank you for selecting this. All right. <laughs> God, I was hoping it was gay culture. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, oh, do you have any favorite moments or interviews from, uh, from the history of uh, Howard Stern? Gosh, you know, I, I really love, I, I, I think what I love most about the Howard Stern show is, is the crew that he works with. And so you get to know everybody on that show intimately. And you know their ins and outs of their family lives or what they do at the office. I love his sidekick, Robin Quivers, sure. because she... She's a smart woman, but she's got, you know, she's got her opinions about things, and she likes a certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to say one of my, my favorite episodes is when uh, Howard Stern told the story of how he had bought dinner for uh, his crew at a very expensive place. And uh, she, he said, you can order the, bottle of, the bottles of wine. And she ordered the bottle of wine, which turned out to be an $800 <laughs> Wow. bottle of wine and she ordered like four of them <laughs> so and then like when he got the bill like he said his head severed and <laughs> I just I love that like she's just a little bit high maintenance and you never know what you're gonna get with her <laughs> you can relate to that maybe yeah yeah okay <laughs> we're uh, called Leo's <laughs> <laughs> well just ahead we're gonna enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic of Howard Stern to test your mastery in the subject with an expert level question but before that to give you a chance to show off here are five trivia questions about the topic each worth one point if you want it you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions Greg do listen closely because you can steal or Sean gets any wrong. Greg, do I have to ask, how much do you know about Howard Stern? Uh, actually, not that much. Oh, okay. Well, let's see how this goes. Is the, the book is uh, on order from Amazon? That's right. Okay, very good. <laughs> well, speaking of books, here's your first question. Howard Stern wrote a number one New York Times best-selling book about his life, which was made into a movie starring Howard Stern. What was the title? Private Parts. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. It was Private Parts. Also starred Robin Quivers, your favorite, as yes. herself, and among many others from the show. Question number two. Howard Stern has two channels on Sirius XM satellite radio. What are they called? 
Howard Stern 100 and uh, 101 was called Sternthology. Howard well, Stern's Stern Sternthology. So what are your answers, please, to clarify? Howard Stern 100 and 101 is Sternthology. Helen? Um, I'm going to say, yeah. Yeah, we're going to give that to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Howard 100 and Howard 101. Okay. Yeah, in general. All yeah. Right. It's actually Howard 100 and Howard, Howard 101. 101. Yeah, yes. yeah. It changed over. It does change, but they're generally called that. So uh, we'll give you the point on that. All right, number three. Howard has become renowned for his interviews, with some going so far as to say he's the best interviewer working today. I would say second best. Um, <laughs> Howard has said that one of his all-time favorites was in 2011 with a pop star who not only spoke candidly during the 90-minute interview, but also sat at a piano to play a song. Who was the subject of that interview? A pop star, you said. Mm -hmm. Can I have a hint? Helen, how about that first hint? The song she played was The Edge of Glory. Lady Gaga. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. How's that for gay knowledge? <laughs> 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 little gay culture for the people as well. All right, uh, you're three for three. Here's question number four. In 1994, Stern had a short-lived campaign for governor of New York, representing which political party? Libertarian. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Fun fact, the Libertarian nominee for president in 2016 got over four million votes. You're four for four, Sean. Here's question number five. After writing the foreword to the 2010 book of a frequent collaborator, Howard declared that he would never write another foreword for a book again. The subtitle of that book was Tales of Redemption from an Irish Mailbox. Who was that book's author? Could you give me a hint? Helen, how about that second hint? I know for a fact that you have met this person. Richard Simmons? Helen, is it Richard Simmons? <laughs> it is not Richard Simmons. Greg, with a chance to steal. Is there, can I get a hint also? No, that's the same hint. Okay, I'm going to say Greg Fitzsimmons. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It was Greg's book. <laughs> I knew that. Yeah, absolutely. Greg, thank you. You really, you really played that straight the whole time. Uh, that was really great. Uh, what was it like to have Howard write a forward for your book, by the way? It was the most painful experience of my life. <laughs> because I didn't realize, as you said in yeah. the question, that he I missed the episode where he said he'll never write another forward to a book. And so, you know, I thought of him as a mentor. Think of him as a mentor. And so I reached out, and I wrote him a note saying, you mean a lot to me. I go, please, no pressure. If you don't want to do this, it's fine. But it would mean a lot to me if you... Did this, and, uh, and so then he reads my note on the air, and he says, who the hell is this guy to ask me? Granted, yeah. he's given me a show on his channel. Yeah. He has had me on 50 and so, wait, who is this guy? Yeah. I don't know this guy. And so every day he would list things he would rather do, <laughs> including having sex with his wife, playing computer chess, yeah. and then uh, rather than write this forward. And so then he would call me on New York time. So I would get a phone call at 4 a.m. waking me up, and it would, be, it would be Gary, the producer, saying, Howard wants to talk to you right now. And I'd be like, hello. And he'd be like, how can you make me write this forward? <laughs> and then in the end, he did it. That's awesome. And was it sweet, the actual forward, when it was finally It was. Written? It was actually very nice. Awesome. Aww. All right. Well, Sean stumbled a little bit on that, but God. comedically, I'm kind of glad so she did. That was very fun. <laughs> so embarrassed. Sean, no, no. You're a very good sport, and I knew, I could, I knew that uh, you would do that with a smile, so thank you. Uh, all right, Sean, you did quite well in that round, but here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Nice. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Before moving his show to satellite radio, Howard met many of his show's mainstays on various stints at terrestrial stations. So for up to three points, where did Howard first work with writer and producer Fred Norris? Where did he first work with co-host Robin Quivers? And where did he first work with writer and correspondent stuttering John Melendez? Oh, my gosh. You can give, either give us the city or if you want to give us the station name, that's fine, too. Oh my God! Looking for three cities. Want to take it one at a time? Robin Quivers came in D.C. Okay, I know that. Who who do we else have? Stuttering John. Mm -hmm. I want to say came in New York. Okay. And Fred Norris. Oh, it starts with an N, and I'm blanking. Um, and I know Hartford. And Hartford. Connecticut. Oh, Hartford. that Hartford. Thank you for yes. clarifying. All right. You yes. mean you mean Nartford? <laughs> 
All right, so to summarize, we've got Hartford, Washington, D.C., and New York. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, Easy For You To Say, who could be heard on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and The Howard Stern Show. It's stuttering John Melendez. Wow. John Melendez. Oh John giving a hug to his old colleague, Greg Fitzsimmons. John, have a seat there. Sean, you seem especially pleased to see John. No, I've met John before. You have met before, all right. We didn't know he was going to be here tonight. No, I didn't. I didn't either. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, John. It's great to see you. Now, John, you were known on the Howard Stern Show for these classic interviews with uncomfortable questions of of famous people. And a a lot of them I I would listen to and and sort of cringe. And then there was one that just made me so happy and and made you, I guess, go viral before we had that term. And that was when you you shouted out a question to Jennifer Flowers. Jennifer Flowers. Yes. And for uh, those who don't remember, uh, who was Jennifer? Jennifer Jennifer Flowers was the one that uh, accused... Bill Clinton of sleeping with her. Yeah. And it was a whole big thing. The National Enquirer was there, and I asked three questions. Yes. The first was, did the did the governor wear a condom? Yes. The second was, was there ever a threesome? And, <laughs> and, and the last one was, will you uh, be sleeping with any other presidential candidate? Yes. And I have to say, there was a when you asked that third when you asked about sleeping with any other presidential <laughs> candidates, there was a moment where it just seemed to puncture just the ridiculousness of the whole thing, and even she was laughing at the podium. Yeah, she was laughing, and her attorney wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> but Bill Clinton was because yeah. they made a mockery of the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now you made headlines again recently when you interviewed a celebrity kind of by ambush. Tell us about that. Another yeah, political figure. Hey, Greg, have you heard of that? No. Did you hear about that? No. Oh, I got, uh, you know, I prank called uh, Donald Trump oh, and Jared yeah. Kushner. <laughs> I did hear that. I, I got them to call me on Air Force One. How? They thought I was Senator Bob Menendez. Yeah. <laughs> I don't sound senatorial. I sound janitorial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you drive a Mustang. A little, little callback from before. Uh, what, what gave you the idea to try to make it happen, and how did you actually make it happen? <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, I had this bad English accent. I was like, hello, this is Sean Moore. <laughs> I am Senator Bob Menendez's uh, assistant. They're like, who? I go, Sean is in Connery, Moore is in Roger. I'm a big, I'm a big Bond fan, as if I named myself. Right. <laughs> that is a bad accent, John. Oh, yeah. there hasn't been a worse English accent since Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. <laughs> and how long did it take to, for you to actually get through? In less than two hours. Wow. I was driving to Beverly Hills, uh, like, on my way to a date, which is even more unbelievable. (laughs) And and then Jared Kushner called me. Hello, it's Jared. (laughs) To be fair, none of you know what he actually sounds like. That very well could be it. (laughs) What do you want to speak to Donald about? And I said, oh, I... This is how, this is how, you know, and I don't care what your politics are. I, I, I'm not trying to polarize anybody. This is how dumb that whole administration is. I said, oh, I had a long talk with Donald about immigration reform three weeks ago. I just need some closure. <laughs> like, like emotional closure. Like, as if yeah. he, like, wouldn't he remember that? <laughs> and, he, and, and, and also, does he think Melendez is going to be on his side of the debate? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then and he goes, all right, I can pull him out of a meeting now or we can call you back. And I said, oh, you got to call me back because I had to figure out how the hell I was going to record it. <laughs> Wait, he's calling you on your cell phone? From Air Force One. No way. Oh, yeah, it says Washington, D.C. It has the number. It ends in four, four zeros. So you know it's real. And they're calling me, and I'm driving around the block, and my date is texting me, where are you? I'm like, I'm talking to the freaking president. <laughs> I tell that to dates all the time, and then this time it's actually true. <laughs> of course, you were known as Stuttering John, yes. and uh, I have not heard any stuttering. And they really made fun of you for that uh, starting out, but uh, did, it have, did it have an effect on how people perceived you, the fact that you then had this job and had this successful career? It helped me. It helped yeah. me. Uh, like, honestly, I, you know, I meant to stutter as all over, and I say the first thing you got to say is that you're a stutterer. Mm. Because then it takes all that pressure off to speak clearly. Yeah. So, like, it, as soon as Howard, like, called me Stuttering John, yeah. it was like, I, I would get on stage, Greg, I, and, you know, and Greg's been on my tour. I wouldn't stutter on stage. They would boo me. <laughs> like, I'm a fraud. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. It was the fraud thing. <laughs> Man, did I give you a lob, Greg. 
That's that weird. was a hell of a big love yeah. for but Mr. Fitzsimmons. But uh, like, I'm focused on the book now. I mean, the book is doing well. And, That's great. Uh, Tell us about the know. book. What, what, what's in it? Greg, you would love it. You know, I th- I'd love I, it more if you mentioned me in it. I do. I thank you. You do? Yes, oh, I do. Nice. I thank you in it. Oh. I thank all the comics that were on the road with me, and you were one of them. I love it. We had good times. We had good times. <laughs> we were once. It was me, you, Artie Lang, and God. and Baba Booey, and we oh. were th- we were thrown out of a gym in Vegas <laughs> while working out. Out of a gym? Wait a yeah. second. Artie Lang was in a gym. I don't believe that. <laughs> He was supervising. False. False. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get to the reason that we got you here as far as our game goes. You heard the questions that we asked of Sean. We wanted to know where Howard met miscellaneous uh, mainstays of his radio show. First, we asked Sean where he met Fred Norris. Helen, what did Sean say? Sean said Hartford. And John? Uh, that, is, that is correct. That is correct. A point for Sean. Hartford was correct. The, the call letters there were WCCC. Yeah. All right, uh, next we wanted to know from Sean, where did Howard Stern first work with co-host Robin Quivers? Helen, what did Sean say? Sean said Washington, D.C. John? Yep, that's accurate. That's correct. That's, that's another correct. point for Sean. DC 101, I believe. Yeah, WWDC, I guess known yeah. as DC 101. And finally, we wanted to know from Sean where he met someone named Stuttering John Melendez. Helen, what did Sean say? Sean said New York. And John? With this accent, of course. Of Long course, that was New York City. <laughs> Sean, you have aced your cluster fact. Congratulations. <laughs> that was WXRK and K-Rock. Uh, Sean, anything you want to ask of John? Or, or you said you, you'd met before. Tell us about how you guys know each other. Oh, I, I've met uh, John at the Comedy Store outside on the porch and uh, where I work a lot and, and uh, I just, I've always, John. I thought just, the question was gonna be, are you single? Cause yeah. I would have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, you know, I was just actually listening today uh, how they had an episode where uh, Sal, who works on the show, and it was his time how he was trying to get into Howard's apartment and, and, and go like spend the evening with Howard. And then Howard, all Howard kept saying was, oh, John's been to my place. I would never let, you're a crazy man. I, but he's like, but, oh, but, but, but John has been in your place. And he's like, but I like John, John's <laughs> my friend. And so it just, it makes sense that you're oh, well, sitting here today. Well, that's the really cool, cool thing. Like the one great thing is that I got into Howard's inner circle. Because I would like, I would make him laugh. I would goof on Gary, and then, you know, it was just became a thing. So like me, Howard, and and my wife at the time, and and Beth, and you know, we go out to dinner all the time. Yeah, the camaraderie. And a lot of those stories are in the but like are in the book. Yeah, well, that camaraderie really comes across uh, on on air. It's it's so great to, to to see that you've gone from that show to all those other wonderful projects. Yeah. So if people want to uh, learn about more you or your work, where can they? Oh, find at you? Stuttering John M on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to meet you. Stuttering John Melendez. Yes. I think that might have been the first uh, expert we've had who actually knows both of our guests. Yeah. It's nice to, it's nice to see that. Uh, Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that round. At the end of that round, Greg Fitzsimmons has five points and Sean Polofsky has seven points. Very, very close game. And now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Greg and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. And again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Greg, penguins are birds. True. That is correct. Sean, the penguin is the state bird of Nebraska. False. Correct. Yeah, not a lot of water around Nebraska. Uh, Greg, there are penguins at the North Pole. True. Incorrect. No, Sean, there are penguins at the South Pole. False. Correct. That's right, they are in Antarctica, but not at the South Pole. Greg, there is a species of penguin called the macaroni penguin. True. Correct. How did you know that? Because I've been to South Africa. Oh. Sean. Bragger. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, penguin is a Spanish word meaning walking bird. False. Correct. Greg, penguin is a French word meaning walking bird. False. Correct. Sean, penguin is a Welsh word meaning white head. True. Correct. What? How do you know this? <laughs> uh, Greg, some penguins are in same-sex relationships. Well, Sean actually could have answered that better than me, but I'll say true. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Uh, Sean, a same-sex penguin couple in Australia recently adopted a baby penguin. True. Correct. And finally, Greg, they're registered at Baby Penguin Gap. <laughs> If you want to play this game, let's take it seriously. It's just for fun, but okay. (laughs) They take it seriously. Let's give a nice hand to Sean Pulaski and Greg Fitzsimmons while Helen tabulates the final score. 
Helen, are you ready to announce the final score of tonight's show? I am. At the end of the game, Greg Fitzsimmons has nine points, and Sean Pulaski has 12 points. Congratulations, Sean. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Sean, what will you do with your championship? Well, I'm going to uh, do an international tour. Wow. <laughs> I'll start in uh, uh, someplace uh, very gay. Well, Fire Island. And okay. then I will uh, move on to someplace gayer like France. I don't think we've ever had that answer before, <laughs> in that order. Uh, all right, uh, that just leaves us to plug anything that you want to promote. Uh, Greg, where can people find you and your work? Uh, Fitzdog.com is the podcast, or Fitzdog Radio is the podcast. Fitzdog.com is the website. And uh, check out Childish, my new podcast with Allison Rosen. Absolutely, thanks so much for being here. It's great to Thank be with you, you so again, much. Greg Fitzsimmons. Sean Pulaski, where can people find you? I'd like to plug Greg's book. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you can uh, find my uh, one-hour comedy special, Stretch It Out, on Amazon, iTunes, On Demand, Xbox if you're 12. And, <laughs> um, and uh, you can also go to my website, hahachick, H-A-H-A-C-H-I-C-K.com. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you tomorrow morning at work. Yes, Sean Pulaski. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you lucky, lucky people have been co-hosted by Ms. Helen Hong. You can find my performance schedule at HelenHong.com and please follow me on the socials at FunnyHelenHong because the other one's a biatch. <laughs> Not you, though. You're nice. Helen Hong, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and me. You can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at JKeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank Sean Pulaski, Greg Fitzsimmons, Leslie Kendall, John Melendez, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Heinrich did. He, she, or they said, this is amazing. Even when you think the topics aren't going to be good, they are. The next time The Simpsons is a topic, choose it, please. Well, Heinrich, listen to our previous episode because we chose it. Anyhow, thanks, Heinrich. Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Garrett Marks at Mustangs Etc., Craig Cunningham, Phil Englander, Kurt Carley, Andrew Wolfberg, Allison Rosen, Wildalyn Garrett, Clint Tauscher, Leora Saul, Dave Bianchi, Hal Miller, and Christine Vallada. I'm Helen Hong. Let's go drive some Mustangs. Hey everybody, Jay Keith again. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a reminder, if you like this content and want to hear more of it, please consider joining our Max Fun Drive. That's uh, this March, coming up very, very soon. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to help support our show, get some great bonus content, and uh, all sorts of exciting, fun stuff. That's MaximumFun.org slash donate. Be a part of the Max Fun Drive. Become a Max Fun member. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.